0: Robert Burns is a world famous figure, one of the first celebrities of the modern age, the rhinestone ploughboy or supperman in two modern jokes. In his own day he was fated as the heaven-taught ploughman, the voice of the Scots people, a writer of bitingly satirical poetry cutting through the pretension of churchmen, politicians and the foolish generally. He was also, suddenly, his nation's greatest songwriter. Today, we might suggest, the nearest that Scotland has to a Lennon and McCartney. Over 200 poems, comical, sardonic, tragic, about love, religion, politics, folk customs, sex, human psychology. Over 400 songs that Burns collected, improved or composed from scratch. He also wrote more than 800 letters that show him to be a master of English prose. A family man, an unfaithful man, a sympathetic man, someone struggling to make a career, as a farmer, as an exciseman, as a writer too. Full of creative exuberance as he discusses his poems and songs with friends and polishes these in the light of their comments. Burns, once a very real human being, is today iconic In our three-week MOOC course, we'll begin to look at the work and also at the phenomenon of Robert Burns. Born in 1759, dead by the age of 37 and encompassing a publishing career of fewer than 10 years, Robert Burns today is Scotland's national poet and a world writer. How did these things come about? Is Robert Burns that good? Youly sprung in June
1: You've just listened to the trailer for uh, the online course, Robert Burns Poems, Songs and Legacy, and here to talk to us about all things Burns, but particularly that course, is Ronnie Young. Hello, Ronnie. Hello. So, um, this is our first Burns cast for, for a couple of years, and some people may think, well, what have you still got to talk about? You've done two of these already, but there is so <laughs> much more to talk about. And that, I think, is kind of one of the things behind this online course, is to kind of teach people, no matter what level or knowledge you have of Burns, that there's always something more that they can learn. Is that right?
2: I think so. Burns is one of these figures that's reinterpreted by different generations and by each successive generation. So I think uh, there's there's never an end to what we can say about Burns, um, if, if you like. Uh, well, and well, tell us a little bit about the course itself. Certainly, we have a three-week course starting on Burns Night, starting on Monday, um, which is open to all, absolutely free, you don't have to pay anything to join, on the FutureLearn platform. Now, the FutureLearn platform is uh, online uh, MOOC courses uh, owned by the Open University, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a short course, it's only three weeks, um, maximum of four hours a week, so you can fit it around your own schedule. Yeah and all it does is involve you going online and finding out more about Robert Burns.
1: And from what I mean, you've showed me some of the stuff just a, a, a minute ago, it's quite, it is very interactive, it's videos and it's links and, you know, bringing Absolutely. Burns right up, kicking and screaming right up to date.
2: Well, yes, because I think mean, now this is one of the things, I mean, we're talking about, you know, what, can we more, what more can we do with Burns and what more can we say about Burns? But there's also the question of how, how can we translate Burns into the modern world? And there's so much available online. I mean, you've got songs, poems, YouTube, the BBC have a fantastic resource with yeah. different readings by... Leading actors, and um, we're using or linking into many of these these resources, including uh, I must say our, our own Spotify playlist for yeah. different, different songs. Um,
1: if you if you thought it was odd, the Jimi Hendrix and Gene Alexander on the same playlist, <laughs> then you can find it there. Um, we'll talk a little bit later about kind of Burns wider influence, but Absolutely. I have to say the breadth of what you're looking at, um, you know, it takes in national um anthems it takes in a a, the iconography it takes in um all sorts of influences that people may not realize that burns has had was that the idea behind it? As let's go as wide in terms of as, as we possibly can.
2: Well, absolutely, because it's for a general audience, and it's—I must stress—it's for anybody. I mean, yeah. whether you're a Burnsy and you might find something new in it, or or if you're completely new to Robert Burns. Yeah. Again, we want to just like uh, introduce you to some of the main ideas, some of the main themes, um, and some of the reputation of Burns, and of course, some of the main poems and songs. So with that, we wanted to really um, take a a very broad approach. So we're not going to depth in any one area, but we try and press all these different buttons. Burns as Patriot, Burns as Lover, Burns as Man of the People, Burns as Poet, Burns as Songwriter, and also course is international celebrity i think that's one of the key things it's like i mean burns is a remarkable poet that's why we're so interested in the fact is we're approaching burns night yeah and we're I mean, this you're, really you're, you're, really- you don't find this kind of celebration for all writers, frankly, yeah. you know, across the world, you know, there's very few writers who have this kind of like adulation, if you like.
1: No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, in recent times, you've had um, Stevenson Day, which is a, a kind of growing in size. Uh-huh. It's obviously celebrations of Shakespeare. Other countries will have their own kind of national poets' day, but nothing, I think, on the scale of bones.
2: No, absolutely, and uh, it, and it's it, it's a celebration that's transforming all the time as well. It's a, in very interesting ways. Yeah, it, I mean, it's become very commercialized as well. Of obviously. course the change recently walking through the supermarket this morning And the you know the stands about burns Night, in that time between Christmas
0: and Easter uh, and exactly. Valentine's Day and you've
2: it, got it's already set up like that which is very different from my youth back in the 18th century <laughs> 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 when you know I think you get haggis once a year but nowadays it's you know it's it's something it's all a phenomenon, yeah. it's like <laughs> X, you can actually get <laughs> absolutely <all year> round. <laughs> absolutely but but it has become something that's really uh, really promoted and you don't as I say you, I don't think you really find that with um, a lot of writers. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. Um, Having had a look at the course, um, there is, if you've got just a passing interest in Burns, go and have a look at it, and we'll put all the the links and things up on the the website. But there'll be something there which you'll find interesting. But I think also those people, you know, who feel that they know quite a bit about Burns will find something uh, 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 to... There's three questions at the heart of the the course, I think it's fair to say. So I thought, why not attempt to answer them here? Then people <laughs> yeah. will not have to have the <laughs> yeah, answers have already. <laughs> <of> the <laughs> you know what I mean. So the first one is, um, who was Robert Burns? And that might sound like a simple question, but it's actually a really
2: complicated question. I think so, yeah. I mean, this is about Burns' reputation. And as, uh, people have recognised uh, that Burns is everything to all men, um, that Burns uh, has represented different values to different groups. And he's been, if you like, He's been appropriated Appropriate by, a by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And for
1: people from really opposite ends of the spectrum as well.
2: Absolutely, I mean, whether it's ideologically or politically or socially or, you yeah. know, what have you. I mean, Burns has represented different things and if people have found in his writing things that seem to speak to them, you know, from, you know, uh, working class communities in England in the 19th century, you see them as this sort of, uh, you know, you see the radical Burns yeah. coming out through to let's face it, more sort of like, uh, you know, traditional or conservative elements mm-hmm. in society have appropriated uh, the whole sort of cult of Burns and the Burns Supper. So Burns is you know, as you say, being rep- appropriated by different groups. It's, it's, so very, is
1: key. it's very interesting, I think, that you've got these... It shows a, a poet that has got... A lot of people don't maybe think of the subtleties of Burns poetry, incredibly subtle, a lot of it. Um, they maybe just think of the greatest hits, and we'll talk about them a little bit later as well. But the fact that he can be taken in such different ways by so many different people makes him fascinating in itself. You do wish at times that you had that kind of Marshall McLuhan moment where you could bring him in and say, you know, you know nothing about my work, how dare you say that this is what it's like. Unfortunately, we don't have that. But there's a lot of passionate debate and I've seen it. About what he actually stands for.
2: Absolutely, I think you know in recent uh, you know recent events and recent political events, of course, you know um, Burns has re- been uh, held up to articulate the views of uh, you know both sides, if you like, of the yeah. political spectrum, and that's just an, a small example of how Burns has been sort of used and uh, borrowed uh, from uh, over the years.
1: And with Burns comes a lot of mythology. Um, um about his actual life itself, who was Robert Burns? He's often, you know, referred to as the heaven-top plowman and yes. all of these kind of things. Can you put into perspective who
2: what his actual life was like? Well, I think it's the complexities of his life. We, we, we're starting, you know, we, we we kind of start with like uh, just some of the facts that we know, mm-hmm. what, you know, which are quite extensive, of course, and uh, most was will know. Uh, a lot of these these things already, but I mean, where Burns was born and Alley in Ayrshire. I mean, about his beginnings, about his father, father William Burns, about his upbringing. I mean, the fact that he, yeah. uh, his father um, had got together with uh, locals and hired a private tutor, John Murdoch, for him, a young man who stayed with them for a while, uh, who introduced Burns to quite a lot of uh, well, very important reading and learning. We have his uh, early career when he's. Really picked up as an airship poet and has local patrons. Yeah. Um the publication of the Kamark edition in seventeen eighty six, uh, the what the, the 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 edition that that uh, really uh, brings his rise to fame is yeah, picked up yeah. in, it's picked up in Edinburgh, it's reviewed by Henry Mackenzie, mm-hmm. who's you know, he's the leading critic of his age. He's a kind of like Mark and his day, or something Yeah, like that sure, anymore. yeah, yeah, And yeah. um, pronounces Burns a heaven tall ploughman. Uh-huh. Burns makes arrangements with uh, some others to uh, go head to Edinburgh uh, uh, to 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 publish a second edition or extend his second edition. He's he's the toast of the town. Uh, so we know all that. And then later in life, we've got Burns, um, really, if we look at sort of two phases in his career, although they do over- they overlap, mm-hmm. as Burns a songwriter, he's collecting things for James Johnson's Scots Musical Museum. This is a great age of antiquarianism and I think this is a part of his life that Absolutely. many people don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's actually, he, he, he's, he's, he's reworking songs, he's writing new lyrics for songs, he's collecting older songs and he works with Johnson and then he works with the more sort of a slightly posher collection yeah. George Thompson's select collection of heirs and I think that's one thing that we want to explore is that you know, you've know you got the reputation of what Burns is like but then you've got the other aspects of I mean, what we do know him as a poet but also as a songwriter you know in yeah. week two we look at poet and songwriter mm-hmm. and I think that's something we want to look at because sometimes I think people aren't aware that a lot of poems that you see in the page are actually songs yeah Yeah. Mm-hmm. and while others of course will obviously no burns mainly through songs through all Lang Syne and through you know A Red Red Rose or A fond Kiss yeah. and a
1: lot of the links you have including the Spotify list are actually great examples of people performing the songs I mean songs perhaps even more than poetry are meant to be performed they're meant to be played and listened to and, absolutely uh, and, and, and such a wide range of people that
2: have played them Yes, uh, we've got um, we, we, we we've got re- our own readings of poems, uh, which we can do now and we can link into the page so yeah. you don't have to go off searching for them. So you have poetry readings, you also have some audio versions, the different tunes that some of his editors like George Thompson had mm-hmm. chosen for songs like "Old Lang Syne, you know, there's different versions of uh, sure. songs uh, or different versions of melodies. Which
1: change the song completely depending uh, ab- on which melody you have.
2: Absolutely, and we also uh, link uh, through to uh, such resources as our Spotify listeners, which, which I think uh, offers a great resource for letting people hear mm-hmm. examples of the songs. But different settings, different contemporary settings.
1: It um, also makes you realize there's not many songwriters from that time that who's breadth of songs are still played and listened to today. You know, often you maybe get a one-off or something like that, but it's quite
2: rare. I guess, I mean, from the 18th century, we have... Few prominent examples, you know, from James, James Thompson mm-hmm. and Real Britannia through to. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I, I mean. Know, I can Claire think, think of one great big hit, ah. and then you
1: would be struggling to name others, whereas with Burns. Mm, sure, yeah. Even if you don't know the Burns, sometimes you go, did you know he did that? Yeah.
2: Well, absolutely, you know, I think that's often the case. You, 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 you might not know where it comes from, but, you know, it actually turns out to be Burns, or in some cases, it's the tune. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the tune that's been picked up. Uh, so you find that Burns is um performed a in many different contexts today by lots of different artists. And I think that's something we want to show as well. And we can show now, because we've got these online resources. You know, we've got a, a playlist which has Versions of old line Syne by you know artists from BB King through to or Duke Ellington and Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra through to, uh, Sufjan Stevens yeah. or Jimi Hendrix or the Beach Boys or you know the or, or even Mariah Carey's recent mainstream sort of versions of old line Syne. We have traditional artists Gene Redpath and mm-hmm. you know through to Karen Matheson doing different versions, Eva Cassidy and mm-hmm. various different versions of different songs. Yeah.
1: Um, so Burns, at the, going back to Burns in his lifetime, at a time, of course, when you know the equivalent of Facebook was shouting over the back fence. How um, how well known was he in his own in his own time? I mean, how much of a celebrity, if you like, was Robert Burns in his day?
2: Well, after the Mackenzie review in the Lounger, Henry McKenzie's magazine, the Lounger, um, which you know is a sort of cultural authority, if you like. Um, People really pick up on Burns, you know. Mackenzie comes along and pr- proclaims Burns' original genius in, uh, in late 1786. And I think he's celebrities almost immediate from that time. Right. You know. and you if, wouldn't
1: think it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I certainly wouldn't think of that. But then I've having known a little bit about... Um, and um, how Scott, what well, Scott became so, so yeah. well known, and then later Dickens, and you know Absolutely. these people were really um, held Absolutely. up as the as the celebs of their time.
2: I think maybe the adjustment we have to make now is that if we think of poetry now and we think of poets, you know, poetry collections don't perhaps don't sell so well, you know, um, as say the novel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have to make the adjustment uh, when we think about the late eighteenth and early nineteenth yeah. century with people like Burns and Scott. Poetry that, was the big thing. That. Poetry was still the big thing. Yeah. I mean, Scott transitions to the novel later in his career, if yeah. you like, after he is a success with publications like Lady of the Lake. But yeah. Burns, it's poetry, of course, yeah. and it's poetry right from the start. Um, Burns is also celebrity, of course, as a songwriter, because songwriting is very important. Yeah. People don't have Spotify. They don't have record players. Yeah. They don't have DVD players or, uh, not DVDs, sorry, CDs. <laughs> uh, you know, c sixty, uh, they don't they don't have these kind of things. You, I mean, so you know, access to music is quite often through collections of sheet music. Yeah, yeah. So you would look for songs to sing, and this is what's been provided. So instead the of carrying albums
1: custom. under their arms, they would c- carry sheet music you, you, under their arms. You could
2: too. what <laughs> <laughs> <So you're laughs> I'm listening to. <laughs> you could too. Um, I think it's uh, one of the surprising things that microphones, uh, or we maybe mentioned, is that. Burns is really consumed not by necessarily just by a popular audience. It's uh, it's a fairly well-to-do and elite right, audience. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Then you shouldn't have this idea yeah. that,
1: um, you know, everyone who, who was working in the farmyard had a carbonic edition in their back pocket or anything no. like that. No, that's an
2: expensive volume by way. Yeah. Books are expensive, yeah, you know, yeah. and a, it was a popular volume. And you do get popular volumes of Burns, yeah. etc. But um, we... It, and he does have a following we yes. I mean, must be clear on this there's a following amongst various classes if you like mm-hmm. in society but at the same time he has, he has been consumed by a yeah. sort of fairly well to do audience who can perform these songs etc and yeah. have access to them You know, but
1: with the songs I suppose particularly with the more um, well known folks songs that perhaps he was looking at and collecting they would be known because they were performed live and, and, and that's more likely that people would know them perhaps
2: than poetry. Well, he is collecting traditional songs so they, yeah. they, I think they, they, they might know the tune yeah. or they might know um, an earlier version yeah. so that, that, that might be the case. Mm-hmm. I think a fairly diverse audience but um, one thing we could say about his celebrity is that even early on he is sort of appealing to different groups and different locales he very quickly goes from being an Ayrshire poet mm-hmm. who's patronised, if you like, in Ayrshire, you know, yeah. to us, you know, people supporting him and subscribing to the edition, to uh, the Edinburgh Literati, you mm-hmm. know, the late Scottish Enlightenment. Yeah. And within a couple of years, as we mentioned in the course, there are editions in New York. There are editions in America. Yeah. You know, so he's, he, he, we know Burns is widely translated, widely read across the globe, even today, and places as far as Russia Russia and China. But this starts quite early on.
1: So, yeah. and how does that happen? How does uh, this poet from Yorkshire within a shortish space of time? And of course, he didn't live that long. No. Um, suddenly, find himself being read in New
2: York. Well, there are various reasons we do have the links between Scotland and uh, you know the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we should try that again. It's the, the West Coast. <laughs> uh, And, you know, the eastern seaboard of North America where books do find themselves on the other side of the Atlantic. You know, um, publications are republished in places like New York and Philadelphia and Boston, Mm -hmm. etc. So there are these kind of links, trade links, cultural links, but there's also expat community. Yeah. 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 Um, That helps travel. This is a time when people can travel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's partly why um, some songs do travel because... You know, we take something like Auld Lang Syne, written in Scots, a version of an older Scots song, there's sure. versions of, uh, older versions of the poem by poets like Alan Ramsey, yeah? But Burns' version speaks to this new audience that's travelling, and I think even though it's written in Scots, it's, if you like, I, I hesitate to use the word universal, no I'm going to use the word, let yeah. use the word universal, it has a more universal message about sort of like Separation between loved ones and mm-hmm. you know friends and family who have parted, yeah, old acquaintance yeah. and that really speaking to that generation who are starting to move elsewhere and moving across America or Canada. That's also, what I was going to yeah. say. This
1: idea of when you have a, a diaspora yep. spreading around the globe, actually, a lot of the, the I'm using sentiment not in a specific sense, but in a more wide sense, um, would appeal to them because already they're starting to want thoughts of home and memories of home and, and all of that.
2: Absolutely, I think that's really important. And we actually see, if you go into the 19th century, when you look at the kind of diaspora poetry that's coming out by Scots uh, expats, if you like, mm-hmm. um, quite often that's in a sort of Burnsian mode. If you, yeah. yeah. It's got that sort of Burnsian sentiment and nostalgia and quite often Burnsian forms, you know, in terms of stanza forms, etc. It becomes a way of them articulating their sort of uh, separation from people back home and from home itself, yeah.
1: That's something I hadn't thought about actually, but did he um, prompt a lot of imitators?
2: Well, yes. Yes, I think uh, when you get to people like the 20th century, like Hugh McDermott's issue with the whole Cult of Burns is partly, you know, a response to the fact that you've got this kind of tradition of uh, koofiness, you know, uh, coming right through the 19th century. I I, always
1: thought that related to Burns himself. I never thought about it, and it probably does, relating to those that... Because I would imagine McDermott actually thought Burns was... Fantastic, as you know. I mean, I imagine we'd have a problem with the man in his poetry, mm. but it was the influence. It was the, the the what he saw as a negative influence on Scottish culture, but actually Scottish poetry, perhaps as well.
2: Yeah, I think as in the quote, like more nonsense has been uttered in mm. <laughs> Burns's name than Christ, etc. It's like it's it's the tradition that that's that's arisen around Burn, the, the Burns, the whole sort of Burns industry. I think he uh, is one of uh, McDermott's main targets. Yeah. Sure. but a. Uh, you do have certain elements of uh, literary tradition in the 19th century that are still Burns in, a time when it's no longer really, you know, it, it's looking a bit old, backwards, looking old-fashioned by the early, early 20th century. Does it stay on in Scotland
1: when it's kind of disappeared elsewhere? Um, well, is that one of the reasons that Burns's influence has kind of endured right through... Kind of, I mean, some bad press for in the twentieth century, in particular, in terms of how you know it was portrayed. Um, mm-hmm. um, but seems to have come through that. And I wonder
2: mm-hmm.
1: whether um, I mean other writers got. We've spoken previously well, about Walter Scott well, going completely out of fashion when Austen uh, comes in, but yep. maybe
2: Burns seems to have ridden all of those. I think so, yeah, versions. because because people have found different things in him. Yeah, I mean, he he, he hasn't been sort of uh, he hasn't. I guess I died away in the same way as Scott or mm-hmm. even Stevenson have at certain periods, you know, have had a depth in their career, or the other Scottish writers. Mm-hmm. Burns seems to have persisted, and as this mean. Or central figure, and that's right from the start. And you've got people; I, they're not imitators. Actually, it's people who are inspired, if you like, by Burns. I mean, for example, there's some fantastic Ulster Scots poets, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or Ulster poets, not always writing the Scots, who are taking on Burns forms. You know, from, uh, James Orr, etc. You have working class poets. You have people who are inspired in the nineteenth century from the Chartist movement onwards. You have a whole range of different people, sort of responding to Burns and finding new things in them. Um, And then, you know, that's running through, I suppose, the period of empire, right through to the First World War, when Burns becomes a figure, I think he's used for recruiting, actually. Oh, really? For troops, at one point, Yeah. Uh, the whole Dumfries Volunteers idea. Burns was a member of the Dumfries we, Volunteers yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to uh, repel French invasion during uh, the week in the wake of the French Revolution. And uh, uh, dim- I think this there's posters kind of, with aye. him pointing the finger. Well, there's posters with Burns, and uh, oh, you know, really? uh, yes, uh, we've we've got them in the course. You obviously ah, examples. These posters, if you that's like to check That's a great in. example
1: of something that you yeah. know, I knew nothing about.
2: So. And the way, you know, people... Again, it's just a point we made earlier is how people can find different things in Burns, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, because they can re-translate them or re-interpret uh, them for every generation and find new relevant things in them, speak to their generation, that he hasn't had that dip in, yeah. his, in his sort of reputation that we perhaps see other writers. Maybe the only thing we could point to is occasionally when Scottish culture itself is... The, Periods when that's seen as less, you know, um, as something to uh, shy away from. Yeah, I think when I when I grew up, uh, scott Scotch culture was a bit too. Um, music hall and well, well music hall. finished I must say, I'm not that old. I mean, I used to see the, 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 the tail end of that tradition, and you know, the, the, the kind of stuff that they showed them to be a very version. It was a sort of shortbread version of Scottishness and country dancing, and yeah, and it was a very limited
1: yeah. exposure to Burns yes. as well. Yes, uh, there was a few um, songs that were sung, a few um, poems that were read, and they were always the same one. And then, yeah, it was the the White Heather,
2: of, of of kind of uh, Burns yeah. in that way. And I think what from that is something that you know, as a generation brought up in, <laughs> I guess, like punk rock and yeah. you know uh, a, a, a new wave music, uh, that was something that you kind of uh, turned your back on. But it wasn't. I, I, it wasn't as much of a rejection of Burns as the kind of way generation everything that was the whole a rejection of everything was, you know the previous generation and the way in which they presented these kind of things it was all very uh victorian in dress and yeah. uh, you know uh, tartan and sashes and mm. uh, well I think it, it was it wasn't
1: just um old-fashioned it was almost um, fantasy because yeah. actually a lot of people would never have encountered ever that kind of it was, as you say, it was a kind of almost Victorian invention of something that never actually happened that often in Scotland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burns manages to, to um, survive this, and the next question on uh, that, that kind of is the course is centered around is what made Burns a poetic genius? Good luck with that. <laughs> How do you define genius?
2: We don't. We don't. We don't it. So, quite simply, you know. Uh, what made Burns, I
1: guess, stand? Can you say what made Burns stand out? In terms of his
2: poetry? Uh, one thing that we don't see in the course, but I will say now, is that if, have you read 18th century poetry? <laughs> uh,
1: yes. Some of it, I have, yeah, some of it. I think
2: you know where I'm going with this, you know. Yeah. Uh, or certainly late 18th century poetry. Yeah. He does stand out if yeah. you compare his poems to the kind of stuff that's been produced. Yeah, so
1: like when the Beatles come along in the early 60s. And yeah, so, sort of, you know, th- this is something it. new. Yeah. It's
2: something really quite uh, remarkable. And even in the early reviews, I'm going back to Henry McKenzie again, he's, he recognises this original genius, as he calls it, you know, the, sort of like this real talent uh, in Burns, even though Burns hasn't been supposedly educated like a gentleman, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is a myth, if you like, but uh, even though he hasn't, Supposedly been educated, he has this kind of talent, yeah. And Mackenzie recognises his talent even with his reservations about the fact that Burns is writing in Scots. Yeah. I think Scots is on its way out, you know. Yeah. Um, even back then. Even back then. Because yeah. this was
1: now, yeah. if I'm right, um, this was a time when um, Edinburgh, Athens in the North. Yeah. North Britain. Yes. So the idea of Scots actually was seen to be moving out uh, politically yeah. and culturally, and yeah. uh, kind of English was the way forward.
2: Yeah, right? because we've had the, the you know we've had the whole Act of Union, we've had the revival of Scots in literature by figures like oh, Ramsey, of course, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Robert Ferguson, a great influence on Burns as well. Uh, but on the other hand, you've had the Scottish Enlightenment. You've had David Hume and Adam Smith and uh, the literati of Edinburgh, really turning towards English as a sort of new medium of polite communication Mm -hmm. and seeing, in Scots is increasingly seen as a sort of sign of a sort of rustic or, you know, lower class sort of uh, way to express oneself. Um, so, Burns is writing, against that con- uh, writing in that context and against that context, it's not to say he always writes in Scots, Burns no. is a very, very skilled writer in English, mm-hmm. You can code switch effortlessly. He can indeed. some really of the poems we look at yeah. where you actually look at Scots way here and how you don't notice. Yeah. You know? And the vision true. as well, it like goes from Scots to English, you know, you know well. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, um, You know, poppies, uh, the section with poppies and pleasures are like poppies uh, spread. It's absolutely. It goes right yeah. into English. Burns is really skilled at that. He English. But at the same time, he is writing Scots, and there's a recognition by people like Mackenzie. It's like, well, that can be a bit of a problem.
1: And he's not writing Scots for some kind of effect. It's not like he's putting on an accent. It's his language.
2: Well, in a sense, it's a literary language. So yeah. I think that's one thing we, we're sort of clear about is, you know, it is a poetic language. He will use Ayrshire terms, he will use farming terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was brought up but he was brought up now he does yeah. know the language you know so um, I, but he knows English equally as well I think that's 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 what we're trying to impress that his language mm. itself is quite complicated uh, but he is writing at a time when Scots in general and in, in culture has seen in a fairly negative increasingly seen in a fairly negative way if you're well to do as you say in Edinburgh and places like that you want to get on you throw your lot in with English and yeah. that's going to make you seem polite you know yeah, it's kind of like when you, you know, your mum telling you to talk properly talk when, you're, proper. when you're wee. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so this uh, education that he's got, how many other people from his background would have that level of
2: education? Was it quite rare? Um, I think the thing is in Scotland, uh, Scotland's got high literacy and it's got yeah, almost yeah. comprehensive education because since the Reformation... The schools have been linked to the, the local Kirk, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you've got the local Donny. In Burns' case, you know, he's living in Alloway. Um, it, the it's the father, his father William Burns, mm-hmm. and a, I think some local uh, others chip in to actually get a, a tutor, yeah? yeah, to make education available to him, and it's his choice of sort of uh, his choice of reading for Burns, uh, which really has a formative formative, formative influence mm-hmm. on the poet. And Burns is a wide reader. He's an extensive reader, and I think that's what you know goes against the sort of idea of genius. If you like, it's like genius, the heaven and top clown. Mm. It's like a, Burns has this, you know this this talent, this inspiration, but it couldn't have come from book learning. Yeah, that's not quite true. Yeah. because you know he's 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 a, he's a great student of many things. Alexander Pope and William Shenston, the yeah. sort of sentimental poet, through to Ramsay and Ferguson. He's read philosophy, he's read Adam Smith's theory of moral sentiments that's quoted in you know, To a Louse or uh, To a Mouse, he deals with the same sort of things of sympathy and these kind of Enlightenment ideals. Burns is, Burns is a very, very shrewd and very studied, learned poet to a certain extent, even though sometimes he will play up to the sort of heaven taught, yeah, sure. rustic. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is
1: has the education mixed with the background and his own language and he decided that's how he was going to approach his poetry, which was obviously so unusual that it made it stand out and, and actually stand aside from the other 18th century poetry that was out there. There was nobody yeah. in the, else kind of doing that. That's maybe what I makes see him yeah. stand out is that he took, these, he took the education and he also took his own life, if you like, and what he saw and what he saw around him and, and brought that together.
2: I think, yeah, if you look at it as kind of, you know, a lot of elements coming together, you know, time through Burns, he can synthesise all these different influences in a creative and productive way. The things he's read, the culture that surrounds him, he can take the sort of Ayrshire culture and the local culture, but he can also make that relevant to a much wider audience, you know, he can go from the local to the universal or the general very quickly in his verse. Um, and he takes all these things, that, you know, like he's the, 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 what we call through the years was folk culture mm-hmm. and the songs and the things he collected the language um, and also the forms of poetry he's, he, he's read, you know, he's like from former poets, you know, he's from the Havie stanza of Ramsey and Ferguson, the Scots forms, through to the Spenserian stanza, which is, you know, old English form from Edmund Spencer, which yeah. has come through the 18th century and Used in the course Sardinai, for example, or the Christ Kirk forms, he can take all these elements and he does and just really puts them into something new. So and what, that's a real skill. I mean, it's absolutely you know, it's not just heaven taught inspiration, no, no. It is, it's, it's pure talent. So, if you look at that in relation to what's going on in the 18th century, around about that period, we've got the development, the stimmings of Romanticism, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Burns is really bringing to the table. He takes all these elements, the collecting. You know, uh, the focus in ordinary life, the interest in ordinary life, the language of ordinary men, as Wordsworth called it, yeah. uh, as well, you know, the, um, um, the idea of the bard, which has come out after Ossian, James McPherson yeah. collected uh, these poems of this ancient kind bard Ossian, so the poets are no longer just seeing themselves as kind of public voices, in the, as in the days of Alexander Pope or even Alan Ramsay, they're actually, you know, these kind of bards who uh, have lyric qualities to their verse, yeah. you know.
1: Um so I mean I think it sounds as though a bit like some of the great painters, don't let's say someone like Picasso or Bacon who understood absolutely all the rules about art, absolutely understood them intrinsically and they had to before they could do something completely different with it. He knew all about the you know, yeah. the ways of doing things and then for that allowed him to say, Well I know that, I know yeah. that's form, I know that's the how you do it, I'm going to take this in a different direction.
2: Well, I I think so, because we have so many examples of Burns talking about his influences. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a famous uh, biographical letter to uh, Dr. John Moore, one of his correspondents. Now, Moore himself was a travel writer and a novelist and Mm -hmm. a rather uh, um, odd novel called Zalucco and various things like that sends it to Burns at uh, at one point. now forgotten. (laughs) Um, But Burns writes to Moore and tells him about all his influences. He actually lays himself bare. He does say, like, this is what I read and this is what influenced me at certain times. Mm -hmm. And we know from that source and from various other sources what Burns was reading, you know, whether it's allusions in the poem or whether it's him speaking about what he read or, um, or what he, you know, what he had in his collection. And we know about various uh, inspirations that really galvanised him as a poet. People like Robert Ferguson, the Scots poet, the young Edinburgh poet who died tragically young, of course, in the Madhouse. you know, uh, Ferguson, I think it's the discovery of Ferguson's verse that really has a change on books, yeah. Yeah. We kind of know, he knows a a lot of different forms of poetry but he can, it's certain key sort of works that he Really uh, inspire him I guess.
1: So he, what's interesting though, and I think maybe this is what makes him stand apart, is that he had read all these influences, but he wanted to do his own thing, mm-hmm. and that's quite rare. It would have been very easy, and you know, to to um, just duplicate what he'd already read, but yeah. he decided he was going to take this in another direction. Uh-huh. and you were saying that in some quarters the use of Scots. In general, but maybe with Burns as well, was looked down upon. But do you think that actually gave him a a far-reaching or more far-reaching appeal? It could.
2: It it could. I think you know. It certainly doesn't do him any harm. Like Mm. uh, after his death and up until the present day, you know, it does make him distinctive um, in many respects. Um, One thing that comes out fairly quickly in his verse. Uh, in terms of him finding his own voice if you like I think it's the way he extends Scots language poetry um, and the you know he uses these kind of Scots forms things that we know as the Burns stanza or yeah. the Habby stanza which was used by Alan Ramsay in the early 18th century and then Robert Ferguson mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's ten- quite often used for sort of it could be Comic purposes or mock elegiac purposes, yeah. these kind of things. But Burns really extends the range. He takes them on and, and changes. He, you know, it, you can it? have philosophical points. You can have satirical points. You could well. Okay, that was in Ramsey, but you know, yeah. Burns. Burns um, really. He extends the what different. you can actually yeah. do with the hobby stands yeah. and what you can do with these with forms mm-hmm. of Scots poetry, and I think that is very very distinctive, very indicative of his, his, his real skill.
1: And it's also a, a style which people will know, but there maybe then he gives them the unexpected. He maybe you know they think, well, I know the style that this is written in,
2: therefore I expect it to be like this, and actually he takes it somewhere completely different. Well, yes, I think in some cases. And also, we, I mentioned earlier that Burns' ability to move between the local and the universal, which I think is the key thing to his... A international celebrity if you like mm-hmm. the fact is this is somebody writing in 18th century Scots quite often yeah. using agricultural terms from Ayrshire uh, which you know not of a, if it's too to with you know I didn't have that kind of background um, many people don't the world over um, but yet Burns still travels you know, and is still sung around the world today. So, even if there are, you know, some people may have difficulties reading Scots or understanding certain words, I think there are certain aspects in this verse which people will still find and latch on to. <laughs> at some of the greatest hits, really, again, uh, 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 trying to appeal to a general audience. Mm-hmm. So some of the poems you might have heard of, Um "Scots Wha Hae." Uh, we look at Burns as patriot for that. We look at "Ae Fond Kiss," which uh, is Burns as a lover, if you like. It's a uh, lover, not a fighter. A lover, not a fighter. Uh, a man's a man for all that. Man, uh, Burns is a man of the people. Uh-huh. We look uh, Burns, a poet in the vision. We look at "Red, Red Rose," and a few. Uh, views of Old Langs- Lang Syne, we look at in different contexts, whether it's the collection of the poet, you know, in the different versions, through to its international spread. Um, we also have Two Haggis, which mm-hmm. is, you know, very pertinent now because we're in the run up to Burns night. Yes, perhaps, absolutely. You know, uh, hopefully, as this goes on, we'll be in Haggis season. yeah we are in Haggis season, so uh, we, we look at that. You know, it's an interesting poem in itself. I mean, it might seem sort of flippant to some people, mm-hmm. you know, this apost- poetic apostrophe or an address to this object, you know... Um.
1: It's a satire in itself, though, yeah. isn't it? A lot of it,
2: then I mean. Well, I mean, he, he's really sort of setting up a contrast. It's between this sort of, like, what we'd say was perhaps a peasant dish, yeah? Um, has bred this really hardy race, mm-hmm. and that's different from, your, different from sort of other diets which don't have that kind of effect. You yeah. Know, uh, like, you know, your, your oleos and fricassees and <laughs> all these sort of fashionable dishes. So he's really setting up a kind of Scots dish, yeah. Against other sort of diets and the effect it has on a sort of ordinary sort of Scott, making them a kind of hardier breed if you like. It's kind
1: of made from girders, isn't it? It's that uh, kind of advertising. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think it
2: is that kind of idea. I and mean, it really is for burns, you know, why do why do we have higgers and burns like, well, okay, this is part of the early Burns suppers, mm-hmm. which are, you know, just a few years after his death, you know, five yeah. years after his death. Wow, really? Like, because eighteen oh one is the reputed to be the first uh-huh. one where a bunch of friends get together but quite soon you have the formation of various things like Burns societies and clubs mm-hmm. who are uh, starting to do this thing and we start to associate you know, the, the, the haggis not just with burns but as a national dish yeah yeah I think it's you know, burns is really responsible for the elevation of some of these kind of things as we cover in the course we look at or we mention that, you know haggis and whiskey for people like burns at least become sort of symbols of I I would
1: imagine that he would be quite tickled to see the amount of uh, grandstandings, the wrong word, but the kind of pomp and ceremony that surround a Burn's supper
2: with this, as he said, a poor man's dish. Well, absolutely. Um, You know, you have this set of rituals associated with the burn supper. You know, you have um, really... A way of commemorating burns that's evolved since the nineteenth century, which I think he possibly wouldn't have had in mind when he wrote to Haggis. You know? No, um, the toasts and the I mean, okay, the drinks there I mean, you might really appreciate that, but um, it, it, the Burns supper is something very different from what Burns is writing about to Haggis. I think yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely.
1: It's it's it evolved its kind of own identity in a way, and, and also I think was. Responsible for a, an image of Burns which actually was detrimental to but stopped people reading his poetry. I think for a while, it's what you were talking about earlier on, this kind of idea of it was, wasn't for us, it was for other people. Um, I'm interested that you've got Tamashanter as one of your international uh, poems, fantastic poem, and uh-huh. one of the best in terms of it's just a rollicking story and it's got yeah. everything in there, you know, I mean, it appeals to all ages. So why has Tamashanter got
2: this wider appeal? Tam um, Tamashanter is simply one of his more popular poems. Mm. Um, it's, you know, as a long narrative poem. Um, it's something that really people engage with and also something that people have commemorated. And we use Tamashanter not as a reading because it's quite a long poem, I think. You know, it's quite challenging for new learners, for example. But we actually look at the objects that have been uh, used to... Sort of um, to illustrate tarnishing, mm-hmm. and that's been a whole range of things. You know, snuff boxes with scenes of tarnishing, or jugs and earthenware and plates and dishes, and you know, tobacco tins and so on and so forth. There's a whole range of things which help sort of underline Burns's celebrity. Yeah, from the nineteenth century, even from quite right early, you know, from Walthamware sort of uh, stuff produced a uh, in Robert through to um, a whole range of different things across the world. That's a very interesting um, idea. That this
1: fairly straightforward in many senses supernatural tale pun slightly intended um, about a man you know having too much and then getting on his horse and you know and, and spoiler alert if you've <laughs> never read <laughs> that chapter but that it's got a life outside of that and it has I mean I love it I mean when people. You know, perform it. It's just uh, and perform it well. It's a fantastic um, piece of poetry.
2: Absolutely. Um, If you've heard, if you've seen the recording by Brian Cox recently, it's really, really fantastic stuff. You know, Um, it it really does come to life, and I think it really does resonate with people. I
1: think it was. It always as if he had written it because this this mixture between Burns, the poet, and Burns, the kind of songwriter it's written to be performed as far as I can see. It's not really there to... You can read it on the page and you go, well, that's interesting. But when you get somebody that gives it a day and really does it, then you go, this is fantastic.
2: Absolutely. I think it's... That's, it's, it's, it's certainly in the Burns canon. it's a favourite for the performance. Yeah. yeah. That's the one that, you know, seems to be the high watermark of one's skill as yeah. a reader or, or, or as a reader of Burns. is that you can recite Tal Shant or by heart and you can recite it well. And maybe it is. Maybe it's this vivid depiction
1: of... Mm-hmm ghosts and witches and you know, and, and uh, that lends itself to being f- to visual depictions you know you see it's it's on plates it's on Absolutely. mocklin ware certainly when i was putting together a filmography of burns it's the one that's been adapted most whether it's in short films oh. or in um, Animation or um, all sorts of things—it's the one which seems to grab at people's attention.
2: Well, absolutely, because you've got a narrative poem. and yeah. I think that's one of the yeah, key things. It's course. not just lyric here; it's narrative. It's 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 actually telling a story. You know, yeah. it's, it's relating this tale of, of Tam He's he's been out drinking for he's he's foo. He's been drinking with Suit of Johnny, um, and he's had too much. He, he makes his way home. He comes up to Kirk Halloway, um and he comes across this. Orgiastic gathering of witches and the devils there, you know, uh, sculling the pipes, and um, you know, there is a narrative there going on.
1: It makes you sort of wish that he'd done a few more in that style. I mean, you know, it's being harsh to say what he should have done when he did so much, but um, in the way that earlier you were saying, you know, Scott had mastered. Poetry, and then decided he was going to concentrate in the novel. It would have been interesting to see if Burns' writing itself would have changed, and perhaps she would have got
2: you know, more of his narrative because it's a story, it's, it's a, a short story,
1: basically. Basically,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and that's maybe why people have picked up on it. And it's you know, it can be translated into you know, captive film or graphic novel, yeah. That's you know, it's it's got those, those narrative elements, yeah, and that and the supernatural themes, and also I think you know, the the fact that it's you know, it's a bit the geese of Tam and... Uh, yeah, uh, slightly uh, saucy. Slightly saucy. Slightly drunken. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> Looking upon this, you know, this coven and seeing this, you know, one particular young witch, uh, Nanny, um, you know, uh, with a short dress or cutty sark. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so I think...
1: Uh, That's how he sees burn suppers, I would imagine. <laughs> like those kind of almost rave like uh, knees ups rather than anything else.
2: Well, that is an aspect of Burns, and you know it's it, it again. It goes back to his reputation, the way in which he's been re- he's been uh, interpreted by different people. Yeah, Burns as lover, but it's not just Burns as the kind of tender, sentimental lover of a kiss. Mm-hmm. You know where he's writing to uh, Agnes who's uh, with whom he had a sort of rather passionate correspondence, um, or you know his relationship with his wife you Armour, or, or or with Highland Mary. I yeah. Mean, there's the other aspect where Burns, the body aspect of Burns, yeah. you know, this kind of sexual, uh, sort, of sort of side of things uh, that Burns is seen as um, somebody who is um well, actually unfaithful. Yeah. Man, as well. Let's face it. You know, he is. I mean, it's not he, too he much of a stretch
1: to see Tam as as mm-hmm. Robbie you know on a night out.
2: Well, possibly, <laughs> but, at the same possibly. Time, but at the same time, you know, Tam's not just celebrated in Tavishar Tam's, No, 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 you no. Know, Even though he's a sort of ordinary man and that's important It's just the ordinary man becoming the a subject of poetry Something that we see in the Romantic period but he's also seen to be fairly like sort of immature sort of person. He's out drinking, you know, and there's that sort of moral warning. He should the, be going home to de- his wife. The and dangers him. of drink, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, you know, he's turned up, uh, Stephen drunk. The horse is no tail. His wife's saying to him, "What's yeah, happened? What's
1: happened there?" So he's got to come go up with his own <laughs> story. He'll <How laughs> he What happened with a Pascoe
2: Galloway? So
1: uh, this is a good place, I think, to talk about. Um, the iconography of of, uh, of Burns, you know, his work we now know is read widely globally, yeah, sure. and, and today, you know, one of our most um, uh, iconic uh, figures, really. Okay. Um, and the third question in our trilogy is what made Burns a global icon and how he became to be this kind of global superstar
2: that he has become. Well, um, i a lot of different factors I think we touched upon some of the uh, some of the uh, spread of Burns in terms of like the expat community etc and some of the publications quite early on you know but in addition to that there is the you know, uh, whole series of translations Burns' poetry across the world mm-hmm. and we've touched upon that you've got Burns translated into Chinese into a Russian into Esperanto <laughs> to various different languages. So um, Burns is somebody who uh, resonates with a whole, dif- a whole sort of, uh, global audience. I think.
1: I'm interested in the the imagery of Burns. I think, um, mm-hmm. I think you used the term Burnsiana <laughs> earlier on. But then we, the, the 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 reason I got thinking about this was, and you'll see this in our picture. I've, my last birthday, I was gifted this wonderful um, T shirt, um, Burns T shirt, and it has that. It's Naismith's image, isn't it? It's Naismith, right? I think, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's the one that nearly everyone will know of, this kind of kiss-curled, handsome yeah. um, rogue, if you like, your smile on the corner of his lips. And that's become the image that a lot of people think of um, when it comes to Burns. Do you think that has helped his um, get his poetry spread or hindered it? or I mean, what's the thought on... That, the image of Burns?
2: Well, that is the image in, yeah. in many ways Absolutely. because everything that comes after tends to take its lead from that, uh, that portrait. You know? And so you all see, see Burns, you know, uh, or mostly see Burns uh, looking off to the side slightly with the, the side Burns and the, the very dramatic looks. Um, the other, uh, the other uh, versions of Burns, I think there's about f- uh, four likenesses that uh, are taken. Uh, can be quite different. Yeah? Some of them are less than flattering, I would suggest. Yeah, and they also did that facial reconstruction a, f- a couple of years ago. Uh, between I think the which is now in the Burns Birthplace Museum in Alley, where they get the sort of forensic thing. Uh, they send the, the skull off, you know, because they did have a cast of Burns' skull, and uh, they can reconstruct what it looks like. And the end result is very very different from what from the from the portrait from the contemporary likeness
1: there is an yeah. etching i've got a, a copy here etching of um burns by john key
2: yeah that's the Edinburgh caricaturist yeah from the enlightenment
1: and it's you couldn't imagine a more different um imagery of of yeah. the man the kind of slightly pot-bellied um snub-nosed uh so one of a bit.
2: <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, or, or is it a big stump? Uh,
1: the tree, maybe there's a big yeah. tree
2: stump. Well, to be fair, that's reputed to be Burns. I think you know it's because uh, it's an unidentified subject. An unidentified subject, uh, subject. But, uh, but certainly I think you know there is a romanticisation in the portrait. But there's a, but that's more you know an index of a wider romanticisation of Burns. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's,
1: it's, it, does it fit into the whole idea of idealised portraiture? You know. um... <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, everyone went to a similar kind of style because that was the style that people found. In, you know,
2: well to an extent, I think you know in terms of idealised. I mean, you've either got Burns idealised or demonised quite often, mm. not just in, you know, but not just in portraiture but, in portraiture, but in actually written character studies. You know, quite soon after his death, these start where people are giving first hand accounts of what Burns was like, and whether well, he was inclined to the women and drink, or you know. Or, uh, or what it was like is you know as a, as a person. Some were, some were flattering. When some were not so flattering. Some, some a very engaging yeah. character, a very shrewd, intelligent character, such as his friend Marie Riddle, very flattering portrait of the man. Um, or the other ones you see him as sort of like a, a victim of excess. Yeah? yeah. So it's not just the it's not just the the, the actual light like, you know the likeness the physical likeness physical likenesses is the. His written character at the time that seems to sort of create kind of myths about the man.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems to be it's, it's it's a man of extremes in sense. That, you know, as you see he, he was either demonized or. You know, or divine, if you want, for whatever that.
2: Uh, and and what what we do nowadays, I think, is the way we take that image and we try we, we translate it into you know a sort of pop art image and, and which has been in the pop. Well, art actually, image. we we got uh, Sheila Tennant uh, who uh, has raised that image kindly allowed us to uh, use the sort of Warhol version of the burns that was used in the in Glasgow and during the homecoming. Of course, fantastic yeah. sort of like a, you know, a uh, contemporary version of Burns, and there are many of these things, you know, like uh, Peter Housen's done Burns, the, the, you know, uh, versions of Burns of course. have got um, a very popular reworking of the, the, I think, the Naismith with the sunglasses on, yeah. which you see everywhere, and the, the sort of, a the, the attempt to translate Burns into a rock and roll star. Um Which is kind of there, to be honest, because, you know, in our course we've referred to him as the Lennon-McCartney of his generation, although he's one person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. he's he's better than even, he had both together. You know, know, so but, 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 I mean, you know, if you if want to get we
1: serious about that, does that yeah. comparison, you do have the kind of romanticism of McCartney, and or sort of the kind of, yeah, romanticism about the everyday life of oh. McCartney, and the kind of more slightly more spiritual side of Lenin. And
2: oh, absolutely. I think there's something to be written about that. I think Burns, uh, uh, I think we see Burns writes more songs than Lennon McCartney as well. I, can yeah. about I can't remember the figure, nearly 100, I think it is, something like that. It's something I can check, but uh, you know, he is prolific as a songwriter, you know. But so, it's going back to that idea of as a songwriter, yeah? we can tie that into his international celebrity because I think, you know, you know, back, certainly back then, you know, Scottish songs are in vogue for a, uh, and a collections uh, appear with Scottish songs in them, songs by Burns, etc. Um, so that helps us spread and then of course we've got the songs that are picked up later on I think are yeah. really the important ones you know.
1: um, going back to the imagery again it's something that I looked at a few years ago now was the kind of lack of do you think this is a man whose life is ripe for a big on-screen version there was a kind of I won't say a big scheme version, but there was a filmed version called Red Rose yes. mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago now, um, which was a copy of which was given away free with the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? It was a brave attempt uh, on a hugely low budget and just to get a film made, you know, yep. I, I admire that for it. Uh-huh. So I think Isla St. Clair in a small part.
2: Excellent.
1: But there yeah. was supposed to be a big screen version um, and Jenny Butler was um, supposed to be playing Burns, I think. I
2: think, you, I'm not sure, you know, well, we'll His like, or or, or, name was Ty. But Tide? certainly
1: Julie, Julia Stiles was, was supposed to be Gina Armour, I think.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. And um,
1: and it just is never, it's sitting in... Well, who, you
2: know, who, would would you, who would you cast, you
1: know, if we were to make a film with Burns? Burns not that we're going uh, to. No, if... no, if we were to do that, I uh-huh. don't know. McAvoy? Um, about yeah. the
2: right age now possibly no, my, is, well, I mean, I, I'm not sure what age McAvoy is but Burns dies when he's 37 so.
1: yeah, MacAvoy well, probably about 37, 38 yeah, maybe, I think yeah. so I don't think that oh. so like like means yeah. let's, let's face it no, we don't. Hate, a Hollywood star is not aging at the same no, rate as someone in the 18th <laughs> century <this is>
2: absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: um, I'm sure he could get away with it the youthful looks and all—I don't know. I mean, that's uh, yeah. Who would you who would you get to play such an iconic figure? You it, think, um, it's, a, it's a tough one. I
2: mean, it, it, there obviously was this. I think it might have been an internet campaign, but there was sort of. Yeah, I think it was Butler, more than that. Butler was touted. As, I, I it, mean, I there was, was mock-up posters and everything. I think
1: he was uh, interested at one point, um, and certainly people were. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the director, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the director now, but there was directors. Uh, and film companies who were all assigned to it and it just seemed to to never come out. Now a lot of people think, mm-hmm. as I suggested earlier on, that the imagery has kind of overtaken the poetry and maybe stops people getting to the poetry. I uh-huh. think a big screen version of the life and times
2: of Robert Burns would be a almost a surefire hit. You would think, but was, I think it's been a difficult thing to translate. You know, yeah, there's so much written about his life and you know so much interest in it, but yet. You just don't seem to. There's so much myth, off. and yeah.
1: that you could throw in there. You know absolutely. all sorts of things you could do with it. Oh, well, and really. there have been so
2: many films uh, which detail the lives of writers. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. Even recently, you know. Um, so if there could be one on GM Barry, surely there could be
1: one on another. Absolutely, Street, uh,
2: absolutely. You know, with uh, with uh, Gerard Butler in in the lead role, obviously. <laughs> <in the laughs> styles the, uh, and I don't know who would be higher on Mary or.
1: Uh, that's for other people to decide. Yes, Plain I think Franklin. it will. Yeah. that's why. Um, it will. But I think the perfect yeah. place for us to finish um, would be to talk about Old Lang Syne and the influence of Old Lang Syne, um, which really is um, his greatest hit, perhaps. Yeah. You could suggest in terms of the way that that song has now been. Appropriated worldwide.
2: Absolutely, I mean it's it's. I think it's performed slightly less than Happy Birthday. I mean it's 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 something you know that's known all over. Yeah. Um, and it's something we, we we do finish the course with. We go back and look at all site not in the sense of it being collected and reworked, but more in the sense of what has become in the twentieth century, through to the present day. It's a song which, as we mentioned earlier, Burns reworks an older Scottish lyric. For a new generation who are travelling abroad you know um, by the 20th century it's becoming something else and it's really through like you know some key events I think uh, the association with New Year being one of the main ones the yeah. association with the festive periods
1: but you were saying that's an American it's almost an American development or not?
2: well yeah because I mean it's a song that's already travelled yeah. yeah and uh, you, you do have um, various versions which you should mention about you know across the globe but mm-hmm. um, But you have, by the early 20th century, you have things like the Guy Lombardo band, Canadian band, who are playing in New York, and they have it as part of their repertoire uh, playing at new year. And they have recordings, which are then, uh, I believe, played in Times Square, at the dropping of the ball. And you also have popular culture film. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful life, and it's a Christmas, but it's a festive period. Yeah. and then all the different versions that you've got coming through the 20th century the mainstream versions are largely versions which are festive versions you know they are Christmas they're on the Christmas album you you can yeah. you know from Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin through to the Beach Boys through to uh, you know contemporary stuff Mariah Carey or, it was a kind of know, sort of that, celebration for I, many
1: different reasons wasn't it I think yeah. and then, but now it certainly has been cemented as New Year Absolutely,
2: absolutely. I mean, it, 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 because it's you know it's something that's been a part of barn suppers, or yeah. it's something that's some of different events, uh, a wedding. A wedding uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I've been to good. a
1: few weddings where well, that's finished the evening off
2: um, you know, after the slosh After the slosh or, or a or a proclaimer <laughs> slosh or something yeah. like that. Uh, you know the the the, the it has had different uses, uh, mm. and still does have, um, but it really has been cemented. As part of the sort of fabric of New Year, and that's I think that's something is it, it travels elsewhere, yeah. and then it comes back, if you like, it's you know, to to uh, Scotland and other places as, as the song of New Year. But there are different versions of the tune, I think you know. Uh, George Thompson uh, uh, chooses a particular melody, which is the one we know today, yeah. Uh, Burns's editor, George Thompson, uh, there is another version of the melody, and it's a very nice melody, mm-hmm. it's a very plaintive melody and it actually brings it a whole different aspect of the song yeah. you know you can hear recordings of that online or on our Spotify playlist I'll give that a plug again um, but also there are different versions of the tune that we know Old Man Sign with different lyrics and it's not called Old Man Sign mm-hmm. it's for example the national anthem of Korea until the 1940s late 1940s when Korea divided, the so divided, you know? so, yeah. yeah. Uh, with different lyrics mm-hmm. It's um, played in Japan It's uh, a graduation song in Japan Again, different lyrics But it's Thompson's tune Auld Lang Syne, Um Hitaru no hikari, I think I'll probably pronounce that wrong mm-hmm. But uh, it's a song associated with graduation Which is also played in some Japanese stores To tell you to get out I Are mean, you closing time Alright, so it's the equivalent of the bell Yeah uh, so it's <laughs> You know, it has had these different You uh, uses. Some of them quite surprising sometimes, you know. It's been played in very various different contexts, you know.
1: Well, I think that's the perfect place to finish. We were gonna we will post I think the Korean national anthem, if we can get a copy of it at the end of this.
2: We always like to stand for the Korean
1: national anthem. We will we'll stand for the Korean Anthem we will charge, you can charge your glasses for um. that. Um but Ronnie, thanks very much for Thank coming along and doing this as ever and um, hope everyone has a fantastic Burns night and we will be back very soon with someone completely different. Cheers.